Well, Merry Christmas to me. I remember, I think back to one of my favorite Christmases that I had. I was 14 years old, and I came from a family. I grew up in Little Rock, grew up in Fayetteville. Uh, hunting was just not a part of my growing up. My dad was not a hunter. And so I know when I was 14, I was like, I wanted a shotgun. And, um, and I wanted one so badly. But because that just wasn't a part of our family, and living in Little Rock didn't have a lot of need for a shotgun in Little Rock, unless it was self-defense, I guess. And so I, I just didn't have any hopes. But you know what? On my, my, uh, by Christmas at the age of 14, my parents did. They bought me a shotgun. Now, it was not a brand new shotgun. It was... It was a used shotgun, and no one's going to get shot today. I just emptied it. <laughs> it was a used shotgun, and I was so excited, though, to get it because it was new to me. It was my shotgun. This is it. This is the shotgun, and I just absolutely loved it. I, it was the best Christmas ever. Um, as a child. And so, wow, um, just great memories. Um, that was my best. Let me share with you uh, maybe my most disappointing, I'm going to lay that down, but I would sure hate for that to fall. One of my most disappointing Christmases. <laughs> Um, so I'm now years older, and I was getting ready to go to, to school in Texas and work on my master's degree. And I knew I was going to have a lot of papers that I was going to be writing. And I was using, I had been using the, uh, in college, the computer lab. I would go and borrow their computers back when they had floppy disks that were actually floppy. You know, they were about this big. And I would use those computers, I would go sign up, and I would borrow it. But most of my papers in college, I wrote with a typewriter. And so I knew, um, I think my biggest paper when I was working on my master's degree was somewhere around 78 pages long. And so I knew I was going to be writing a lot. And I was going, so I, and I, I really felt like I needed a, a computer to do all of that. And so... Um, my parents knew that, and I was hoping maybe this Christmas will be it. Maybe this will be the Christmas I get that computer. And so my dad came to me. He was like, hey, Harley, he said, we got you a really special Christmas gift. And I was like, you did? And he was like, yeah. He was like, now, you can't tell your sisters about this. And I have no fear at this moment telling this story because my, we're not on Facebook Live. Um, they can't hear any of this. And my, both of my parents have passed away. So I, I never told this story before this point. And so um, he was like, yeah, yeah, you can't tell your sisters about this gift because they would be really jealous. I was like, they would. Okay. All right, I'm, yeah, you know, he knew what I needed, I knew what I needed, and he's given me all the, all the groundwork. So, um, so uh, let me give you some backstory. Um, I come from a strange family, um, and it's going to be confirmed. Most of you may not know what I'm getting ready to tell you, so I'm just bearing my soul here, okay? I, I paid my way through, you know, for what I, my personal expenses through college and really starting in the fifth grade, so it goes way back, um, I was a performer. 
and I did a certain type of performing, two types. One type involved doing illusions, and the other type involved something else. I'll tell you that, about that in a moment. But I, I, this is how, from the fifth grade all the way through my young adulthood, that's, that was like a primary way I paid my bills, all the way through college. And so I would go do illusion shows. But I had a second thing that's closely related to that, and that is I had a clown character, and I did, I did mime, clown things, clown mime things. So you probably didn't know this about me. Now you know. Back to Christmas. Don't tell your sisters. They're going to be really jealous. I was like, okay, I won't say a word. They'll never know. I thought to myself, they will never know where I got this computer so I could go get my master's degree. And so that Christmas, I'm opening up my presents. It, it, but you already know it wasn't. A, it was not a computer. I got this. This is uh, similar to what it was. It's not the exact gift. I got a picture that Christmas. And it was a picture of, you're going to have to look real close because we don't have a camera to make it bigger. Um, it was a picture of my clown character. It was an oil painting that my parents did. I'm trying to take the glare off of it. Can you see it? It was an oil painting of my clown character. So I'm opening up. First of all, they hand it to me in a box. I'm like, this, this didn't look like a computer. Maybe it's the monitor. I like, maybe open it up and there's Mr. Boo. And I'm doing, doing my best to be excited. My parents were so excited about this oil painting they had commissioned. And I was not so... I'll just put it right here so y'all can just see Mr. Boo for the rest of the day. I was, I was not excited at all. And I was doing my best to, sh to be grateful, to show excitement. So here was one, one Christmas that was the best. I got exactly what I wanted... And another Christmas where I thought, this is what I need, and I didn't get it at all. But now as I have grown older, I have kind of thought through this again. And I thought, you know, shame on me. Shame on me for receiving a gift that was given out of excitement and it was given out of great love, and it was given out of kindness. Shame on me for not receiving it the way it was given. Shame on me. As I think back on my life, and you know, December's a good time to do that because we're towards the end of the year, a good time to think back on our lives. As I think back on my life, four of my greatest joys... Um, were something I experienced back in the 1900s. When my children took their first breath, and I was there to see it, and I was there to hold them, those are among four of my greatest memories. But then I've also had some very, um, well, some great darkness in my life. Some very dark moments. Now, the darkest moments in my life have all happened pretty much, mostly happened 
in this century, within the past 12 years. And I personally have been to some very dark places emotionally, some very dangerously dark places. And in that darkness, though I was surrounded by people who loved me dearly and let me know that, I still somehow inside felt utterly alone and felt utterly isolated in that darkness. And I don't know about you, have you ever felt like you were just emotionally lost in the dark? I I think there's something inside of us that always reminds us that when we are in a dark place like that, something reminds us inside that says this, things shouldn't be this way. They just really shouldn't be this way. When we have emotional pain, we're reminded for some reason that we are not supposed to experience this kind of emotional pain. When we have physical pain, we are reminded of the same thing. When when that pain kind of creeps into our lives, there's a thought that comes with it, and the thought says, something isn't right. Something Something isn't right about this pain. I shouldn't be experiencing this pain. We could say the same thing about loneliness and frustration and hurt, about depression and anxiety and fear, all of these things. Something deep within our spirit, our conscious and even our subconscious kind of screams out to us that we shouldn't have to experience this. And I believe that that is no accident. I believe that inside of each one of us, there's this something that's left over, something that's been handed down from another time, from another dimension. And somehow we have a trace amount of that, just enough inside of us to make us think, hmm, something's not completely right here. Things should be better, but they're not. And we hurt. We hurt physically, and and we hurt emotionally. And we hurt inside of our relationships. And people hurt us, and we hurt other people. And that's all we know. That is our whole world, our entire existence. But still, something deep inside of us says, it reminds us that things should be better, but they're not. For me, do you know what that feels like? It it feels like, to me, not all the time, but when I'm really hurting badly, it's kind of a similar feeling that I get when I'm around death. It's a sadness, it's a heaviness, a some kind of emotional isolation of some sort, an emotional pain and a hurt somehow related to death. And it's very strange. But the truth is this, that it's actually very, those feelings are very related to death. Now, God leading and inspiring this man named Paul 
he gives us one of the most insightful verses that we find in the New Covenant. And as Paul is writing, he's writing, inspired by God, to some Christ followers who are living in Rome. And I want to read to you one verse here, and we're going to go to some others, but I want to read this one. In um, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death. I want to pause there for a moment, because I really want us to define a couple of words here in this. Let's start with the word wage. Now, a wage is something that we work for, we earn, and we deserve. We go to work, and we expect we'll be paid that wage. So we work for it, we have earned that wage, we deserve that wage. Now, let's define one of those other words that are very significant, and that's the word sin. And it's anything at all that I think or anything... Uh, that I do that is not the way God would do it. It's not the way he thinks. It's not the way he would do something or he would behave. That's sin. If I do something that is unlike the way God would do it or unlike the way God would think it, then I have sinned. It is anything in my life that is not pure and is not holy, that is not perfect like God. That is sin. And so Paul is saying this. Because I, Harley, have chosen to not do some things, well, most things, the way that God would do them, then I have worked for, I've earned, and I deserve this thing called death. And there's something about my life, something about my emotions and my physical body, there's something about my soul that has died. And that death, that difference is something that I was never intended to experience. God did not plan that for me. He did not want that for me. He did not intend that for me. And so that's why I have this feeling that things should be better. That I shouldn't have to go through this. I shouldn't have to struggle in that way. But Paul is saying that there's something about the way that I, Harley, have lived and thought and the decisions I've made that have opened me up. So I want you to highlight, McKinley's going to highlight that for you. It's opened me up to something that was never meant for me. It was never designed for me or intended for me. It just opened me up to it because of the way that I have lived, the decisions I've made. Do you remember the time? Um, you know, the time. Do you remember the time we broke the world? Let's go back, way back to the land before time. Actually, there was nothing before time but God. And God was doing just fine being God, being himself. He was in relationship with himself, actually. We're told there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all that make up one single God. It blows our mind. We don't understand that. But he was in relationship with himself. He was doing just fine. But he had an idea. Here's the idea of first creation. And so we have this power button here. God's getting ready to power on creation. You're going to see that on the screen. If I put it in the script right, I may not have. But God powers on creation. 
And God had this wonderful idea that I am going to create. In the beginning, God created. He created. He powered everything on. God is, as we know, he we understand from Scripture, he is all-powerful. And he can and is the only one who can create something out of nothing. He knows what God is also all-knowing. Only, you know, he knows what's happened in the past. He knows that and he knows everything about it. And God knows what's happening everywhere right now at this moment. And God even knows what's going to happen that has not happened yet. He knows what's coming. And so God created everything perfectly the way he wanted it, even though he knew how this creation was going to turn out and the decisions that we were going to make. He decided to create anyway. You see, God gave us a superpower. Every single one of us, a superpower. Every single man and every single woman, he gave a superpower. And it was the power and the freedom to choose, to make a choice. And with that superpower, the first man and the first woman, and then, of course, everyone after them, which includes us, have chosen to elevate themselves and to elevate what we want above God and what he wants. And with that superpower, we have all chosen to love ourselves above loving God. And suddenly, what was perfect, which was everything God created, was no longer perfect. Creation and our relationship with creation, which was perfect, and our relationships with other humans, which were perfect. And our relationship between humans and God, which was perfect, now suddenly died. It's all recorded for us in the first three chapters of Genesis. Step by step, God created everything the way he wanted it. He made it perfect. And then we took that creation and we broke it with one single decision, one act, one choice that was not like God. We can't blame them too much because we have been doing the very same thing ever since. We have all, according to what we just read, worked for, earned, and we deserve this wage. And that wage feels a lot like death. We have earned, worked for, and we deserve that result. The death of relationships, the death of perfection, the death of how things should be, how things were intended to be. And before we killed this life, God knew that it was coming. He already knew that's what was going to happen. So God, in his all-knowingness and in his all-power, decided before creation, I've got a plan. I'm going to fix this after they break it. And here's how I'm going to fix it. He already had the plan to fix the world that we were going to break. And we did. Here's how that kind of began. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. At that moment, this was right after Adam and Eve sinned, the first moment that they did something that was unlike the way God would do it, 
at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, that's Adam and Eve, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man. Adam! Where are you? Obviously God knew because he knows everything. He said, where are you? And Adam replied in verse 10, he replied, I, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I, I was afraid because I was naked. Suddenly, as soon as they sinned, as soon as they sinned, they realized that something wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Somehow, they brought something upon themselves that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. They were experiencing something for the first time, unlike the way God wanted them to experience it. And that result they had brought upon themselves, which takes us back to the verse where we started. For the wages, that is something we have worked for, we've earned, and we deserve because of sin, the wages of sin, and that is anything that we have done that's not like God. And so sin is what we have, I mean, the, the, this is coming up is what we have earned from that, the wages of sin. So what is that wage? What did we earn? Is death. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not. Did you catch the fact that God actually showed up in the garden himself. God showed up himself. God showed up among them and was walking somehow, God is spirit, but somehow God shows up and he was among them, with them, walking among them, and he was there for them. In the garden. And I just want to pause and say, what a gift. What a gift that they did not deserve. What a gift that God himself went to the garden and went into their dark place. Their hiding place. Their place where they were broken and they were feeling shame. And they knew something was different and they couldn't do anything about it. And they knew what I am feeling, what I'm experiencing, I'm not supposed to experience. I'm not supposed to feel this way. And God went to their broken place, place and he went straight to them. You know what? We still suffer from that very same death today. But God, God had his plan ready before we ever needed it. He already knew what he was going to do. And at just the right time, God shows up in the garden himself and he came walking into their lives. And God himself 
showed up here and came walking among us. It's what we celebrate in December. That God himself put on the flesh and blood and the body of a man and he came here to us walking among us, with us, for us. And he showed up in our dark place. He showed up in our hiding place. For the wages of sin is death. But, and this is a big but, the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's huge. We have worked for, we have earned, and we deserve the consequences, the result, which is a death of everything that was perfect. But according to God's plan, he already had a fix, this free gift of God, eternal life, connected back with him again, with sin out of the picture, connected with him, and it only happens, he says, in Romans 6.23, through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I'm going to put on this screen, what is a gift? What is a gift? Let's do that, McKinley. What is a gift? If I didn't delete it when we were working hard, it should come right after the Romans 6.23. What is a gift? And so we defined for you wage, we defined for you sin, and now let's define gift. If God says, hey, I have a gift for you, well, here's what a gift is. It's really the opposite of a wage. It's something that we have not worked for. It's a gift. We have not earned it in any way. It's a gift. And we don't deserve it. It is a gift. That's what a gift is. And God says, I have a gift for you. You have worked for a wage. You've earned it and you deserve it. And that is the result of those decisions that we have a death of everything that's perfect. But he says, I have a gift for you, though, that you didn't work for. You can't earn it and you'll never deserve it. I'm just going to give it to you. And he has this gift for us that we can't work for, we can't earn, we don't deserve. And he calls this gift an eternity with God. God. And he says in that verse, there's only one way to get that gift. And the one way to get the gift is this, through Jesus. Through Jesus. Now, let's go to some words of Jesus. Because I, I, I find this so interesting. That God has this for us. Let, let's go to some words of Jesus recorded by Luke. It's in Luke chapter 15. And Jesus is telling them this story. I wish I could give you the whole context of the whole thing. We don't have time today. But Jesus is describing. We talked about last week how God uses models and examples to, to say this is what God is like. Well, this is what Jesus is doing himself. He's saying this. So he says, Jesus told them a story. Verse 4. 
If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? So here's what he's going to do. He is getting ready to say that God is like a shepherd. So Jesus said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? So Jesus has already told us that God is like a father. So he's like a father, he's like a shepherd. And Jesus is painting this picture uh, of this man, a shepherd, or, or like a father, who's like he's counting his kids. One, two, three, yeah, there's three, four, five, six, seven. There's seven of my kids here, but, but they're not all here. Uh, so he's counting his kids. He rejoices. Oh, I'm so glad that these are here. But this isn't everybody. So I'm glad that these children of mine, so he's comparing this to God, saying God is counting. And he says, oh, these, these are here. I'm so glad. So I rejoice that these are here, but something's wrong. Some are missing. He's counting. Whoa, where's Harley? Where's Harley? Where do you want her off to? Where, where's Cole? Where is Blake or Chris or Jesse or Jordan, where, where are these? These are here, but where are the ones that are missing? And here's what Jesus says. He says, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness? And it's not like he's booted them out in the wild. In other words, these who are over here, he has safe or wherever he has them. The 99, he has them safe. So he can walk away from those 99. And it says, so won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And the way that's written in the Greek, it says that, that this shepherd will go and he will keep going. He will go and keep going until he finds it. He will go and keep going. He's not going to give up. He will go and keep going. Wherever they are, he's going to go find them. He will go and keep going. And the Father, God the Father, sent Jesus on that rescue mission. And Jesus himself said, just a little bit before that, he said, I am here to seek and to save the lost. Because God, the Father, sent him on that mission. So Jesus himself, Jesus is describing what he's doing. When he says, I'm going to leave the 99 who are safe and I'm going to go and seek and keep seeking until I find that one that's lost. So he goes after them to find them. And he goes to their dark place. He goes to find them. In their broken place, he goes to find them. To bring them back to himself. And then verse 5 tells us, And when he has found it, the sheep, the lost one, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And we think to ourselves, okay, great. But what about the 99? What about the 99? Does God just kind of abandon the 99? Well, no. As Jesus describes this story, the 99 are, are safe. 
And the 99 are already in his kingdom, already being guided by the Holy Spirit, and they're listening and following. But the heart of the shepherd, the heart of this father, is aching for the one that's not yet in his care. He's aching. So he goes into the dark place to go find them. He goes to the place where they are trapped because he wants to bring them back. And I say, what a gift. What a gift. That's his gift. It is something that we can't work for and we could never earn and we will never, ever, ever deserve. It is his gift. Jesus came here, literally showed up here on this earth that he created and he walked among us like God showed up in the garden and walked among them. Jesus came back, God himself, and walked among us and he was looking for us. So I say, Merry Christmas to me. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to us. For Adam and Eve in the garden, God showed up. And God walked up to them and asked, Adam, Eve, where are you? He knew. He, he was waiting on them to admit that they needed his help. That they had done something that changed everything and they didn't know what all was happening. But they knew they had done something that changed everything and they needed help. And he was just simply waiting. Adam and Eve, Adam, where are you? And I believe that right now, that God could be speaking to our hearts. Right now, this very moment. And he could be quietly saying in your heart, where are you? Where are you? And so that's how we're ending this morning. We're asking that question. If God is asking you, so where are you? And this morning, might we answer God? So, exactly where are you? Several different possibilities. This morning, the first possibility might be are you hiding? Are you hiding? Are, are you at this moment pretending? That you don't need anything from God. And that you have it all figured out, at least enough to get by. And so you don't really need Him. Are you hiding from God? Trying to live this life as if you are enough to get everything done in this life and the next. That needs to happen. If it's to be, it's up to me. Is that how we're living? 
Where are you? Are you hiding from God at this very moment, just saying, I've got it, God, I'm going to take care of it. It will happen, I'll make it happen. I'll prove to you, God, I can be good enough to earn this. I'll prove to you, you I, I can deserve what you're wanting to give to me. I'll prove to you. Or are you just hiding and pretending that there's just nothing at all wrong? That's one possibility this morning, maybe. Maybe you're hiding. Here's a second possibility this morning. Are, are you running? Are you running? You, you somehow know that something is not right. Something's not right inside of you. Something's not right with this world that we live in. You know something's not right. But if you're running... You're rejecting God. You're saying, God, I know things aren't the way they should be. I feel that deep inside. But I'm not going with your plan. I'm rejecting you, God, and I'm rejecting your way. I'm rejecting your truth. I'm rejecting your plan. There may be bits and pieces of it that I agree with, but overall, I'm just going to have to say, if, you're gonna, if it's going to come to push and shove and you're going to say it's all or nothing, God, I'm going to say nothing. I'm rejecting. Because I, I want to give you a hint. God doesn't negotiate. It is all or nothing. So maybe... You're running. This morning, there's not many options. We're either hiding from God or we're running from God, saying, God, no, I, I mean, if this is your way, I'm going the other way. If this is what you say in Scripture, if this is what you tell me in Scripture, I don't care. I'm going this way. There's a third option. Or are you stepping out and saying, God, I'm right here. I am right here, God, and I need you. I'm here, and I need you. Only you can answer that question. If God is asking you that question, only you can answer it. But I'm asking you this morning, will you consider right now at this very moment answering that question in your heart? And it's pretty obvious only one answer is going to bring us life from death. Only one answer is going to fix what we broke. Only one answer will bring life. Only one answer. Because you remember? You know that time? You remember when we broke the world? Because he does. But he wants you to remember how he fixed it for you, for me. And remember, he came here. He showed up on this earth that he created looking for you. What a gift. What a gift. This morning, if you are stepping out, 
And you're saying, hey, God, I'm here. Jesus, I'm here. And I need you. I ask, will you let us know on your connection card before you turn it in, before you hit submit, will you let us know this morning that you're making Jesus the boss of your life? I hope you will. Please do. Let's pray. God, I simply, as our prayer, want to use the words of Jesus. Jesus, you said that if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it on his shoulders. And when he arrives, when he arrives with that sheep on his shoulders, he'll call together his friends and his neighbors, and he'll say, rejoice with me, because I have found the lost sheep. And Jesus, you said that in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and who haven't strayed away. Thank you, Jesus. And God, I'm that one. I'm that one. And there may be another here today that you went looking for and that you came looking for. And Jesus, if that one today did as I did and said to you, here I am. I need you. If they did that today, not only have you found them, but at this very moment, a celebration is taking place in heaven because he found his lost sheep. Jesus, may we simply say to you, here I am. I need you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things, thankfully in our heart. Amen.